For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan's going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. Hello, Wizards fans. Welcome into another Believe in Wizards podcast. I'm Matt Moderno. I'm going to be joined here in a minute by Osmond Begg of Bullets Forever. Oz and I are going to talk the hottest topics in Wizards world right now. Uh, John Wall reunion, the Chris Tapps Porzingis, Kyle Kuzma, dynamic duo, all those good things. But just first, I want to get a word from one of our sponsors, Bet Online. Football might be over for this season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next coach fired is going to land. BetOnline is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE to get started. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds. From your favorite sports to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is your number one online wagering destination. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right. Uh, without further ado, let's just get into my convo with Oz and, you know, let us know what you think. We always like the feedback. There'll be more sort of bolts forever related content on specifically the wall reunion potential and that sort of thing. So let's hit it. All right. At this point, I'd like to welcome in Oz. Oz, thanks for joining me. I uh, appreciate you coming on here. We've got a couple interesting topics to say the least. We're without the third member of our three-point play here, Kevin Broom, this morning because we are doing this early East Coast time. So uh, we'll bring Kevin in. Uh, for his insight the next time. But the first thing I want to start with is just Porzingis and Kuzma. And Broom is not the biggest Kuzma guy so far. So maybe it's better this one. It's just you and me. Uh, yeah, it, well, it is an early morning, especially after a late West Coast game. Yeah. But but bus duty does not stop. So, you know, I'm up at it, up and at it, you know. There you go. Um, no, it's been a – so Kuzma and Porzingis has been fun to watch. The first game against Indiana obviously was better. I mean, mm-hmm. they were playing a lesser opponent. They were at home. But uh, Kuzma, I believe, was a plus. I have to go back and look. I think he was like a plus twenty, plus twenty one that game. There's a lot, yeah. Porzingis was just amazing that first game. Twenty five points on the thing in twenty one minutes. Uh, they're already developing. You could see the match together. Like Kuzma's kind of become more of a, an initi- an initiator, which kind of helps in the complement like Porzingis because it's not like they're both getting in each other's ways. Mm-hmm. Wait, I think there were a couple of instances last night. I think Kuzma hinted to it after the game where he's like, I needed to be more aggressive. There were like, I think there he defaulted to kind of giving it to Porzingis in the high post area, kind of leaving Porzingis on his own to just make a play out of nothing. And Porzingis did like he found Caldwell Pope in the corner for a three, which was, I thought a great look. He found Caldwell Pope again on the wing for a three. He's been his a better height, passer than I realized. Yeah. His height gives him such a good advantage yeah. because he could see over the defense and he could find the angles weak side to find the shooters. 
And unfortunately, Caldwell Pope just, who's been playing better, you know, mm-hmm. I've kind of, you know, written on him like a little bit and kind of said, hey, you know, but like he's been playing better. He was open. He just unfortunately missed a shot. Um, but I think Kuzma realized after the game that he needs to stay aggressive while also looking for Porzingis. That's what my guess is in terms of what like he meant there, because if he drives to the basket, he will have a better chance to free up Porzingis for an easier shot and get his own offense as well. So they're obviously, they play two games together. They're going to work out some things, but I think they have looked really good together. You could see, I even, I think I tweeted this after the Indiana game. You could see the framework for what they have in the front court in the future. And it could be pretty dynamic if, if, uh, if Kuzma can keep up this level of play next year. But at this point we're like, he's almost put up like half a season's worth of good basketball. So there's no reason to think that he can't. And especially playing with better teammates. So although, although yes, our friend Kevin Broom does not necessarily think it, it's sustainable or that good. Um, yeah, he's he played Kuzma is now. I think when we started talking about him, it was like what ten games. Yeah, we're now at like thirty-two games where he has maintained this level of play. He's like at a twenty. He's basically been a twenty-one, ten, and four guy on very respectable and efficient shooting. And yes, his usage is going to go down a little bit, but we've always said you don't need him to be a 22 point per game score. If he's 16 if he's, at the same efficiency, that's perfect. Yeah. If he's six, if he's like, you know what, like let's, yeah. He, and we're not or even 18 talking or whatever. If he's like, yeah, if he's like an 18, 10 and four guy making 13 right. million a year or even more. I mean, look, I mean, Aaron Gordon got paid almost a hundred million dollars. Right. Jeremy Grant's looking for a hundred million dollars and Kuzma's outplaying both in my opinion, by mm-hmm. far, like if we were just trying to kind of put him in a bucket there. So I think, yes, he is, you see the framework of a long, interesting team with those two together. I rewatched the game prior to this podcast, or at least the second half. I did the first half in real time last night. I'm not a crazy person like you who could do the whole thing through <laughs> and then get up early too. But there, there's like an interesting framework for two-man game there that I kind of didn't expect. And I don't know how much we'll see it when, when Brad's back or they have another point guard or whatever that looks like. But that's a really tough matchup for a team to cover when, when both guys can roll, both guys can pop, like it, it was just cool to see. And they didn't do it enough in the second game here. And I think that was part of the challenge, but in the first game, they combined for 48 points on 15 to 29 shooting. They were five of 11 from three and 13 of 17 from the free throw line. In the second game, they combined for 36 points on 16 of 30 shooting. So almost the same field goal shooting, but they were three of nine from three and a combined one of one from the free throw line, which is amazing to me that those two guys <laughs> couldn't get more than one free throw. And I actually, I'm not going to be like the, the ref screwed us guy this morning, but there were a couple of times last night where like people got into Porzingis and knocked him off base a little. And it's like, if he wasn't seven foot three, you'd call a foul on that. I mean, like, right. As much as the broadcast team seems to think Isaiah Hartenstein is like the second coming of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, he's he's not that good, and and he had to foul Porzingis on a couple times and and seemed to get away with it a little bit. He had to. It's one of those things where in LA they start getting momentum, the crowd gets into right. it, and the refs kind of just swallow the whistle. But there were definitely, I mean, Kuzma was going downhill, mm-hmm. Porzingis was getting to the basket. Yeah, that that, I mean, but we've seen that now. It is what it is. I'm not. Gonna, I don't want to complain about the refs, yeah. uh, but they're not going to get the benefit of the call until they're a better team and until they consistently attack. But just like yeah, two games we have between them. You have 31 minutes, you have a plus 7.7 net rating. So, so far, so good. You see the framework of a nice tandem there. Um, 
So yeah, it's definitely something to be, uh, be optimistic about. The thing with, with Porzingis also is we've added players over the years and they've player, their players have had flashes. Some players have, you know, we've had, we've seen flashes. We've seen some nice play like Breton's game. Breton's game hit some threes and everyone's like, whoa. And uh, we've had players come in and have some success here. This Porzingis is different. Mm-hmm. When he is on the court, he is truly like I, I used the word add. I think it was from the uh, from the Bullets Forever account when I was tweeting last night, like in terms of adding, because the team is always kind of basically they've gotten someone to replace someone else. They've gotten he's a new dimension. Like he's a new dimension. This is the first one of the first few times that I could say if he's on the court, they've actually added something. Mm-hmm. And what they've added is a player to Kevin Broom's credit this time, I'll say this, he called him an all-star. Someone who can play at an all-star level always on the floor. And you could see that he's, he brings a different dynamic mm-hmm. that you can't just say, okay, we got, we, we can account for this because you can't account for it. And there's a reason he's, his nickname is what it is because he is a very unique player and he can impact a player, a game just by being on the floor. The most refreshing thing to me is just the comments so far from him, like you've heard some rumblings about maybe he's not maybe the easiest guy to get along with or whatever, but so far he's saying all the right things. Right. And I'm always just a proponent of you want the guys that want to be here. And after the first game, he said, the organization has welcomed me with open arms from the first moment I got here. I'm looking forward to giving more to this organization for betting on me and giving me another opportunity. I'm excited for what's coming. Like, would you rather go to the prom with a kid who's too cool for school and is going to pout if you don't do everything they want? Or do you want like maybe the sort of nerdy, enthusiastic guy that's, you know, like I'm in on this. Like to me, it's just, it's a no brainer. Kuzma wants to be here. Porzingis wants to be here. Like those are the guys you build around. Those are the guys you build around. And neither of them look like selfish basketball players. Yes. They may have like Kuzma. I think some of his shot selection tunnel vision. Sometimes yeah, he gets tunnel vision sometimes, but at the same time, that's part of learning this new role. I don't think he that's his natural inclination. And Porzingis, you saw yesterday when he he was making the right reason, making the pass. So those are two kind of, you want to invest in those type of players. And it's a unique dimension that at least Porzingis has. And with Kuzma, I think you could see the match. You could see it, you could envision it working out well between them two as long as they stay on the floor. Let's uh segue into a player that sort of is both of those things, somebody who at times was too cool for school, but also seemed to always want to be here until he didn't. Uh, there was some reporting from The Athletic yesterday that John Wall would, quote, welcome a return to the Wizards in the offseason. I guess just question number one, can that even happen? <laughs> like, is, is that <laughs> realistic to talk about? Uh, so at first I would have said no, because I would have assumed that Wall would want no part of a return Same. here. Yeah. I think I give the report some credence because it's David Aldridge mm-hmm. and uh, you know, anyone who's followed the wizards bullets for decades knows that Aldridge is pretty plugged into the franchise. Mm-hmm. He has connections. He's been around forever, especially, I mean, he's nationally well-respected and locally respected and locally plugged into the local franchise, lo- lo- locally plugged into the franchise. On top of that, he's not like, the, he's Peter Vesey's going to catch strays, but he's not like the Peter Vesey who just kind of throws stuff against the wall, seeing what sticks when he says something is for a reason. Like, uh, so wall being interested and this being like, or, or at least open to it. And 
And David Oliver is writing about it makes you think, okay, you have to at least pay attention to this. So he's floated this to somebody in somebody's camp. If that actually got reported, like this isn't just them. I don't know. being hypothetical. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be surprised if he's just kind of just like, just, Hey, let me just write an article about John Wall coming back out of the blue. Like there's something, there's something to that. Now let's take the whole wizards part of like the Ted Leonsis, Bradley Beal part of it out of it. But it is interesting that wall would want, it's it's interesting it's interesting but not surprising that Wall would want back in my opinion. Um, I think the one it, it all depends like uh, the mechanics and and Aldridge wrote this in, in, in yesterday's report is it would not be a possibility unless he gets bought out. Yeah. Now there's always a chance that Houston LA still find a trade next year like a Westbrook mm-hmm. Wall type trade that could be one thing that kind of removes us from the equation and I think that's probably your but at the same time, the Westbrook expiring contract probably they LA probably has more options with it going into next season. And I think what we've seen from the Lakers is they are not one John Wall away right now. They are multiple pieces away. So it's just shuffling they, the deck for them. Exactly. If they could probably break that expiring into a couple of players who are on longer, maybe not attractive deals, but longer deal, longer deals, but could play, they may prefer that versus one single player. But mm it's definitely worth talking about and definitely given the hole we have at point guard, it's, it's, it's fascinating and just an ama- amazing that we're having this discussion. And, and wall, this is the last year of his deal coming up, correct? He is in the second, the last year. I think, I believe he has an opt-in for next year, which obviously he's going to take. He's going to take, uh, you yeah, would think, or, or maybe he says at this point, I I'm running out of years to play. I will, I will buy myself out. Um, after opting in, I don't know if you can even right. do that, but I think that's the hope. I think like, I think that's what Houston has been, what they basically, they've been playing a game of chicken with each other, trying to wait each other out. So he's going to opt in. Once he opts in, will he, will he take a little less to get out at that point and play again? Now, wall, I think all reports have been that wall's not going to give up any money, but I think what David Aldridge was saying was that if he would give up money if he knows he's going to get something like the mid-level exemption from another team and basically made whole. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of him coming back to DC, it's funny. You think about it and you're like, okay, the first is like, you're in a little bit of shock, but when you think about it, what options are potentially better for him than this? If his goal, depending on his goals, like if his goals are just to go to a contender, get on the bench, just kind of, be a role, like, you know, play 15 minutes per game for like the Miami Heat for the vet minimum. He could absolutely do that and he'll probably play well in that role. If he wants to play 25 minutes a game and have a, a sizable role, this might be one of the best situations for him. Now, this, me, me starting like with that is not saying that the Wizards should do this necessarily, but I'm just trying to make it like there is no point guard on the roster here next year as of yet. In terms of opportunity, this is probably his best, right? Right. I think it's interesting because guys like that don't typically age gracefully more from a mental standpoint. Like we've already heard rumblings that Westbrook isn't willing to sort of like, you know, stagger back or or tamper down his role and, uh, you know, usage rate and things like that. And not that wall is the same person or the same player. I'm not trying to imply that, but it is hard for those guys to try to like recalibrate where they are in their career sometimes. And and I think wall would have to come here under the understanding that you are now the fourth offensive option, right? Like maybe even fifth realistically, depending on 
how some of these other guys come along and, and stuff like that. So if he can be like super ish Smith, you know, like what we saw against the Clippers last night where he gets into the paint, he's throwing lobs to Gafford. They're playing right. fast and commit himself to being a defensive guy, you know, at the point of attack, like that to me is a really intriguing player. It's just, is he going to want to do that? Cause otherwise yeah, you just got to be a pass. I think, you know, the interesting thing. So the more I've watched the wizards, especially like I've gone to a lot of games this year and the element that they're missing is the element that maybe we took for granted a little bit when John wall was here is those easy transitions. Mm-hmm. Like there were those times where wall just got it and he just went down and he was a one on, he was a yeah. one on three fast break and yeah. he still was at the advantage and he finished and they just have not gotten any of those real opportunities this year. You yeah. rarely see much, anything on the fast break. Mm-hmm. Um, they are, I believe, and I looked it up prior to the game yesterday, two, th- two there are two areas where I think wall could help. Um, and that's kind of, you know, we'll start here before I'll start here, at least with my argument for, before I go into my argument, the argument against, uh, the wizards were dead last in, in fast break points going into last night. I don't know if last night's game changed anything. I haven't looked it up yet, but dead last some of that is by design. To be some fair. of that is by design. That's correct. Um, they're also second to last in three-point attempts per game. Now, two areas that we know John Wall could help are getting, you know, on fast break points. Mm-hmm. And like he'll, he's a one-man fast break himself. He'll find corner, like corner three-point shooters on the break. Yes. He'll find trail shooters on the break. Um, and that also, again, feeds into three-point attempts. So I think those are two areas he could absolutely help in. I think what you said about Ish Smith, I think that's kind of where, as we saw Wall progress in his career, that's where he frustrated me because when he was not on a fast break, he would just walk or stand still. Mm-hmm. Whereas you watch your Smith and he's just always in and out of the paint, probing, yeah. moving, cutting always off on the ball, move, cutting off ball. John wall does not move without the basketball. <laughs> and there are times in the game when he, especially when he was playing a large role here, role here where he would just walk the ball up and he would pound it in the same spot for 30 for 15 seconds until somebody flashed open and then he would just camp out there for the rest of that possession. That's not what this team needs. <laughs> so he would help in some areas and he wouldn't like, but there would be a major adjustment needed by him um, to his game. Not that he's going to come in and be old John wall or look like right. current day John Moran, but I do think this team could use an infusion of athleticism at the point guard position. And right. Sadoransky like reminded some folks, I think, you know, the other night that, that he can throw down on somebody, but he doesn't play like the most athletic player all right. the time. Whereas wall. Yeah. I remember, you know, like a second to last year, he said that he was done dunking because he didn't want to ruin his body, which honestly was probably a smart choice, but like you need him to come in here and be the guy that can go a hundred miles an hour and teams are afraid of him attacking the hoop. And that just gives you a dimension that, that they haven't had. We talked about with the addition of Gafford, he was kind of the first guy in a very long time that was like a vertical spacer. Wall can be like a mm-hmm. different kind of vertical spacer because he can go up and, and put you on a poster still. I mean, presumably if he's healthy yeah. enough, but uh, that is a dimension that they have not had really. I mean, for part of a season with Westbrook, but before mm-hmm. that, since Wall was healthy and, and I think it's, it's really hurt them. Right. I think, yeah, I think going to the areas kind of going back, like the way I would envision, if you were to tell me, Hey, you have to take John wall back. How do you make it work? I think this is how to make it work. I think 
basically you you still start him. I think you would have to start him unless you have a better option. No, I agree. but you you kind of limit him to that twenty five minute per game yeah. it like type type load. You don't want to put too much on his body, especially given he has barely played over the past four years, mm-hmm. four to five years. You um, want to ease into that too. I think ease into that too. I think you start so you start him, um, but then you quickly stagger him out because. Beal doesn't really need him that much, mm-hmm. I don't think. And the new version of Beal. Kuzma doesn't really need him that much. So you want to stagger him out. Another player that I think is going to stagger in and out a lot is Porzingis. And I think Wall actually compliments Porzingis pretty well. Mm-hmm. And I think you then you stagger both out, ideally, early. But it's keeping this to Wall, then you stagger him back in with the backups, who do need a little bit more of a lead guard on the floor with them. Like, I, th- I could see Wall benefiting an improved shooter like Rui and finding KCP, right. And finding Caldwell Pope three point attempts Mm -hmm. um, and also working with Gafford on those lob attempts. That's Kispert, you know, even like any of those guys, he's the ultimate table setter, right? So if somebody needs a spoon fed, he's the guy. So if you play him in five minute bursts and just say, look, these five minutes, I need energy. I need Mm -hmm. full, I need you to go all out. I don't want you standing around. And then also as a catch and shoot player, He'll do some like he's not a bad catch and shoot player. He was like 38% from three point range last year. I think what you don't want is you do not want him playing with Beal, Kuzma, like the full lineup, holding the ball, and then how did many played? Right. Yeah. And then you also don't want him taking those pull up shots because for as good of not good, for as improved as he is on catch and shoot, his pull up jump shot game is not good. It's pretty bad, actually. And it's what's killing his percentages. So if John Wall is taking, and that's kind of what, the one thing I didn't really like about how he played in Houston, but against again, it wasn't really a talented team. He took a lot of jump shots, like a lot of shots last year. So mm-hmm. that would not be his role here at all. You really, like you, like you said, you want kind of a uh, a glorified Ish Smith type role out of him. Yeah, you want Ish on steroids, and right. he's bigger, more athletic, probably a better catch and shoot option at this point, I think than ish would be. And he, I actually do think he would help Beal and Kuzma. I think the big, you know, knock on Kuzma is just some of the shot selection things. But I do think a lot of that is like, he looks around and it's like, okay, is, is KCP going to create or which one of us yeah. is the better option? So if he had a few free looks, like when his feet are set, he's actually a good three point shooter. And I, I think mm-hmm. a few, easier baskets for him would be huge. And honestly, you know, wall has been a, or Beal has been a better scorer without wall, but I still think the best version of Beal was with the last like healthy version of wall right. where he only had to be a low 20 scorer, but was like super, super efficient. And there was actually a little bit of commitment to defense still because he wasn't right. having to go for 35 a night. Like yeah. to me, if you could get him a few open threes, and maybe that percentage goes up a little bit like that adds just like another dimension to your team too because we, we've talked you know you and i have talked directly about like how be- much better the three-point shooting has been honestly since beal went out but yeah if they could kind of keep these guys create a few more open threes for them and have beal hit a few open threes like now all of a sudden we're we're cooking on offense right and i see yeah i definitely i agree i'm not gonna disagree with that notion at all that was the best version, the best match, like pairing with Beal. Uh, that said, I think Beal has evolved into an on-ball Agreed. by design. And it has, you can, it would be naive to think it's not by design. 
Mm-hmm. He won, like, I think he's even mentioned 30 points per game as like mm-hmm. a, a goal of his at some point, working out in the offseason with Drew Hanlon. And that's he also really said good. all defense was his goal, too. So I don't know if we could put any stock <laughs> into those things anymore. <laughs> so I, it's one of those things where I don't, you just can't put the genie back in the bottle. The guy's about to get a, a super max deal, 240 million. So he's not going to take 240 million and say, okay, I'm cool being a 22 point per game scorer watching wall like create opportunities for again. So like he's going to be the player he's been the last four years. So yes, I think wall could maybe get him a couple more looks earlier in the game even, to maybe get even him in just a flow. A few, it unlocks the yeah. mid range scoring for him and the attacking. I think. Right. I think where it gets, where it could be tricky and where <clears throat> you'll have complications is um, late in the game. Like mm. there could be scenarios where you just don't have wall on the floor to close a game because he's look, you're bringing it's matchup. Hypothetically, there. you're bringing him in on a mid-level yeah. and you're bringing him in for a more limited role. Like, you, I guess you just got, we just got to be playing with this. They would be bringing him in to be a role player yeah. where he has once been the, where he was once the franchise guy. So can he accept that change in role? And we, I think you and I talked about this before. Um, Matt and I, for everyone listening, are both big tennis guys. And I think I made the correlation. I, I wrote it at one point about wall trying to have a second act and I compared it to like Agassi and how he adjusted his game and how he kind of put in the work, got in the best shape of his career. And I tried to apply that to John Wall. So we've said the things that he needs that in our opinion, he needs to do. And, but until he actually does it, there's absolutely room for skepticism as to like, as to would he accept that role? Would he do that? What, like, would he do, would he be like a 180 version of, I don't want to say 180, but would he completely like significantly alter the approach to his game over here? Like uh, he would still be, he, even though he'd be a role player, like he would still on the surface be like one of the franchise's guys. Like people would go. He'd be super be popular here. Yeah. He would be immediately popular. People would go to watch him. Like you still have to introduce Beal last because he's the one getting the big contract, but Wall, Wall will probably be second to last being introduced now than before. But people would be excited to see him at least at the beginning of the season. Um, but he would be coming back to play a different role, and he has never done that yet. So until he's done that, there's legitimate reason to be skeptical. I mean, obviously, when he was putting up 20 points and 11 assists, that was super impressive. But right. if you came in here to this team and put up 13 and 8, with a steal or two and a couple knockdown threes and you're reasonably efficient, people would be just as excited about, you know, that addition to the team as they would a guy trying to come in and, you know, do what like Westbrook did for a half a season. So you have to have that convo. And this is like Larry's big thing is like, you'd be surprised how few times a general manager sits down with a player before signing them and like hammers out, this is exactly what you need to be role-wise. And a lot of times right. when you're in an organization like the Wizards where you're just, you just need free agents, they're not as willing to have like that tough conversation up front. Yeah. And maybe that's what happened here with Dinwiddie a little bit, but you have to have that convo with Wall just given his track record here. Like you maybe you don't need to do that as much if he goes to Miami. It's sort of right. straightforward. It's, but here it's, you are not 2015 John Wall. You are right. 2022 John Wall. And, and maybe exactly. he's okay with that just, based on where he's, where his body's at, like to preserve his career for another five years, maybe that's okay. And it's, it's one of the things, like if he go, if he goes to Miami, you could easily see him doing this, these yeah. things, because it's, 
implied when you signed with Miami that this mm-hmm. is what you were going to have to do. Yeah. Unfortunately, the Wizards don't have that cachet. Like Pat, there's no Pat Riley, there's no Eric Spolstra. Right. So they're and, and this time also they're like they will have other options, not great options, but they'll have other options with like the mid level yeah, aside from Wall. So they don't have to be desperate and say we'll let you do whatever you want. They could be clear, like, hey, we want you back you want to be back we have a hole that we think you could fix that you could that you could plug and you could benefit benefit us but the, this is exactly what we'll expect and if you don't think you can make those adjustments then this is not a good pairing you don't have to basically they have to sell each other yeah. that they are they can work together there's no reason to like you said just throw him a throw him a contract and just say please sign please sign please sign you know that's you know that's just totally unnecessary here if that's the case then go sign another point guard with a mid-level or draft a point guard which you probably should do anyways mm-hmm. um but like you said like there's they have they have a lot of, they're gonna have a lot of money tied into Beal and Porzingis and Kuzma's up for a contract in a year so hypothetically if you could get John for a short mid, mid-level type deal it does work better with the roster with with the payroll on the roster now like uh especially keep it it allows them the flexibility they need to sign kuzma and maybe sign if they want to keep any of their rookies on an extension and still just make some additions to the roster versus going out trading your first round pick and giving 23 million to malcolm brogdon which really then limits you and puts you kind of in luxury tax lane i'll like full disclosure for everybody I was not the biggest wall fan of all time. Like I liked him. I enjoyed him. I more so appreciated his like commitment to like wanting to be here early. And, uh, but some of the post I got paid, uh, you know, coming in out of shape, things drove me a little nuts. The 19 foot fadeaway, uh, mm-hmm. pull up fadeaways. If you could even do that, like those long twos drove me crazy. So while I, I liked Wall, I, I'm not the person that's like looking at the picture of John Wall, you know, like the Wolverine meme, you know, like waxing poetically <laughs> about those days. So to me, like there can be no sentimentality behind this choice. Like it has right. to be because it makes the most basketball sense. And if the rotation next year was going to be Sadoransky, Neto, and Ish again, I would say you bring in Wall because that's a huge upgrade. Like you know, if you take wall like Neto out of the starting lineup and you replace him with a healthy wall, even for 40 games, to me, that's an upgrade. Now, right. I wouldn't sacrifice a bunch of other things to go out and do it. And if there's like a good young point guard that they can get for the same price, who is a better kind of off ball player and could fit a little bit better next to Beal and also defends more consistently, I would prefer that personally. So sorry yeah. for anybody that's nostalgic for wall, but that's that's just my take on it. Right. And you're kind of seeing that nostalgia on, on social media, on Twitter, which you're naturally going to get. You're like, oh, this, imagine this lineup with Wall, Beal, Porzingis, Kuz, KCP would be the best lineup. Mm-hmm. No, because this is not 2016 John Wall. That player, <laughs> I think what people, people need to let that go. That player does not exist anymore. Yep. And it's unfortunate, but injuries have kind of, injuries have ravaged his career since then. And also like, his approach in terms of adjusting his game, not to the degree of Westbrook's right now, but like athletic, athletic point guards have to adjust. And Wall, I, I can't say Wall hasn't adjusted because we, we haven't seen him on the court. Yeah. We just don't know because he hasn't been on the court. 
but off balls, the off ball stuff that he would have to improve on would have to change significantly. He was always high in terms of time of possession. He was always high in terms of like uh, uh, usage. I, I tend to think if he could do those things, Houston would have played him some. Like he would have made their young guards look better if he were willing to do that. And then they could still tank if they wanted to tank. So that that's kind of like what makes me a little nervous. Right. But I'm also with you. If like they, if you could get a Tyus Jones from Memphis for like the same contract for like a, maybe a longer mid-level, but for like a three-year mid-level or, I mean, Rubio would have been a good option. I think Rubio is kind of a good example of, of the role that you would want Wall to yeah. kind of embrace Agreed. here. Yeah. But he's coming like with his ACL. Who knows when he's going to be available? And I no, don't. No more post ACL guys. Yes, no, I don't. I do not think the Wizards want to go down the road of having to manage <laughs> manage a player coming off an ACL again, uh, a major free agent. So yeah, that's probably not the best idea. But like, yeah, that's the kind of you want him to embrace that type of role. And it would just look. It it would take some humility and adjustment, humility and adjustment from John Wall, and it would also take obviously some adjustment from Ted Leosis and Bradley Beal. So, and those are kind of the parties all involved and it's just going to be up to them. Like if, and it could be, it could be a case where they just need each other. Mm-hmm. I think I call this, like I called this off the Bulls forever account yesterday. It has the potential for a storybook ending, but it also has a potential for, Hey, a reunion that turns into like a disaster. Yeah, It could go bad pretty. It could go bad. It could be, there's just as good of a chance it goes bad as, as there is. It goes it goes well. Um, but you know, this is know. the, <laughs> this is the ex-girlfriend where it, when it was really good, it was really good, but it also got like really dark at the end, but a couple yeah. of years go by and you haven't found anybody else. And you're like, well, <laughs> I remember when it was really good. So let me give that a try. And I feel like for anybody who's ever kind of rolled that move out, it, it never works particularly well, but right. the, the guy I see is the blueprint is Derek Rose. Like I would call Rose up if I'm wall, I would read his autobiography. I would watch tape of how he's played since returning. Like that's what you need. Like somebody that was yeah. willing to come off the bench and like then try to cook other backups or somebody that was like, Hey, the first four possessions of this game, I'm passing to someone else and not shooting. Like not to say, Players got to play their games, right? Like Wall should be an attacking player to set other people up. You can't have him be too passive and just pass everything, but right. there's just got to be a better balance. So so Rose to me is like one of the few guys that went from that level of player who was actually successfully kind of transitioned the right way. Right. And, and kind of what, what Matt was saying earlier about he was not always the biggest Wall fan. I was, I think I was a bigger Wall fan before, but as his career went on, yeah. It just it kind of wore a little bit Same. because you would see like when he was attacking downhill, he was great. Mm-hmm. But then he'd be on the floor and he had all this ability to create, but he, because he wouldn't attack downhill, he would not, the level of creation for others, this was not there. And we don't, we wouldn't need John Wall to be the scorer. So we need him to be creative. So like he needs to, he needs to get in the paint. He needs to consistently get downhill to create for others. That's just, what his game works like. So, I mean, and maybe that's kind of you uh, mentioning Rose. Maybe that's what you do. Maybe that's kind of how you test out if this will work when you're talking to John, like, Hey, we don't even know if you're going to start here. You may come off the bench. Are you okay with that? Just are you okay with that? Yeah. And if he responds, well, I want the opportunity to start. Fine. You want somebody to earn it. 
but yeah, un- okay, that's fine. But like, yeah. yeah, but maybe like, okay, uh, you'd say, okay, fine. But if you don't, are you cool off the bench? And if you get any resistance, you have your answer right there. Yeah. You know? I think that's the only way that, that that possibly makes any sense. And there's so many things about this that like everybody's thinking about like the hero of game six against Boston, right? right? But the whole rest of that series, they lost because the Celtics just sagged off of him completely. And he was going to shoot 25 times in those games. So it worked for them. You can't sag off of a guy that's only going to shoot nine or 12 times in a game. Like it's it's just sort of a different dynamic if he's not looking to be a primary option. And I, I think you can get away more with, you know, sort of it, it it sort of helps highlight what he does well as opposed to highlight what he doesn't do as well if he kind of eases back on the roll a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. And um yeah, I mean look, it would be it would be fun mm-hmm. at first. And it would definitely be intriguing and fascinating. I think that's like kind of the word I use. It would it would be something to watch, but I just, yeah, it, I get, you could blueprint how it works, but you could also just foresee a total disaster. So, <laughs> I, you know, and it's one of those things like, yes, you could have the Disney ending where Wall and Beal realize they need each other and kind of grown and matured as players and are now ready to, to work together and, and, you look, I'm not saying we're getting, like they're not going to be hoisting a trophy at the end of this Disney movie, but yes, they're, maybe they're back in the playoffs, uh, getting under the skin of like a higher seed like they were for several years and being yeah. a fun team. Um, and that's really like the good version, like the the great ending to like the happy ending to the Disney movie. But how often are the Wizards like a Disney movie? <laughs> the thing that, I, again, I, I've made it clear that I was not the biggest fan of Ernie Grunfeld, the general manager, but the one thing that he did sort of do well was he was willing to be bad cop in those dynamics. And Tommy was the guy that smoothed, you know, smoothed things over and was the good cop. You need Tommy to be at least tough cop in this situation and to go to wall and say, uh, you know, sorry, John, like this won't work for you. Like if you're not willing to be what we need you to be, this is your last stop. Like wall needs to know that this is kind of it for him. If he doesn't actually kind of age gracefully here, because if you come to Washington, if you're wall and it doesn't work out again, and this team is willing to cut you or buy you out or whatever it would be, that's probably it for you. Like now you've shown for multiple years, you can't stay healthy on the court and you can't even go back to a team where they actually wanted and needed you and sort of fit in. I mean, I think that that's probably the end of the John Wall NBA experiment at that point, I think. So like somebody needs to lay that out for him and kind of tough love it up front. And I don't know if Tommy's the guy to do that or not. I hope so. Yeah. And I think that's really part of the reason. I think that's probably why he's considering he would be open to it because he sees an opening here. He knows that a lot of the teams that have been linked to him uh, Miami, Miami has Kyle Lowry, Tyler Hero playing some point guard now. It, Victor, Ol- Victor Oladipo is back, and they're probably he's probably has some loyalty now that they've kind of stuck with him through the rehab. So he's like, what big? How big of what role is there for him really beyond nominal off the bench? The Clippers, all like everyone always says, the Clippers. The Clippers are like a team built around big wings, yeah. and Reggie Jackson has been 
pretty good, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> Ironically, Reggie night. Jackson, who uh, who all took a shot at when he got a contract like his size, but yeah, Reggie Jackson is still hooping. We saw him yesterday. What did he have? Thirty against us yesterday. It felt like fifty-two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he's still doing his thing. So like, there's there's just not that many opportunities. The last one I got for you here is I know Wall would welcome it. Would Ted Leonsis welcome it? Like we've heard some stuff on the sides about maybe Ted is like sneaky pettier than people realize. Like he's not sweet Uncle Ted all the time. That's what I I can't tell. I mean, obviously, no one has a real read on that. It's it's except for Ted, clearly, or per David Aldridge's reporting that video they came out of John Wall. I think prior to it's hard to even remember what seasons, like how the seasons have flown prior to last season. Um, really angered him and I think probably perpetuated uh, when he apologized. I, I think that probably set in wheels the most, like yeah. set in motion the wheels that like got, uh, that eventually led to John Wall requesting to be traded and then the trade to Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, so has he backed off of that? Again, it's one of those things there at some point, Wall and Ted are going to sit down and because the majority of Wall's career has been here mm-hmm. and all of the signature moments are here. And the best moments of Ted's ownership have been with Wall. So, you know, at some point, even if it doesn't happen now, if it happens in 10 years, there's going to be some type of, Hey, like, like they, they meet together, they hug it out and they kind of try to move forward. Is Ted at that point yet? Um, really? I don't think anyone, but Ted knows. <laughs> and I think if, I, I think adding Beal into the equation, if Beal were to sign off on it, that's the big part. I think. And if a diff, if pe- people in the organization were willing to have that difficult conversation saying, this is the role, this is what we need from you this time around. These are the expectations. And if wall signs on, I could see it, but I'm, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I think Beal's got all leverage there. I think the only thing I'd, I'd say that makes me think I'll give the case for and against why Ted would be okay with it. I think for the guy likes to make money. He likes to sell tickets. He likes to promote people that will put butts in the seats. You know, we've heard that some of the draft choices were strategic to capture, you know, particular international fan bases, things like that. Ted likes to make just enough money off of this team, you know, sneak into a play in and, and sell one round of playoff tickets. And I think wall could help you do that. And he also puts some more butts in the seats early in the season. Yep. The case against, eh, how much do we see the the last sort of generation of Wizards teams really come back? Like, I know Jameson's involved with the organization in some capacity, but they're not fronting him out there a lot and being like, look how amazing Jameson is. And now he's on the bench or uh, I know Butler is with the heat, but still there was very little like fuss made about him, you know, even when he was on the broadcast team for that right. season and a half and they'll never bring arenas back for stuff. I maybe you know, 10 more years from now, maybe, (laughs) but the fact that they don't promote, you know, the other nostalgic group of wizards players makes me think that, I mean, maybe they're not willing to do that. So I I could kind of go either way on that one. It's definitely possible. I think the difference with wall is eventually he, I, I would imagine that he eventually gets his Jersey retired here. You would think you would think because he's, um, it would be a bad look for the org if he didn't. If he did not, right. So with that, there has to be some recon- like reconciliation between all parties. Sure. And obviously, like 
obviously with with Ted, yeah, I think it's not a situation with like with Gil. Gil just keeps doing things that just don't allow him to ever really come back here. <laughs> and um, and Ted also wasn't the majority owner when Gil really had sure. his his big prime years here. But but right when Ted took over the team, Wall was well, they won the lottery and Wall got drafted here. So there's there is um more history between the there's more bands. history between the two yeah you, you found the right word for me there's more history between the right between the two that you could see it eventually being right or eventually being at least amenable between the two and kind of like uh but are, i don't know if they're just ready yet it seems like wall might be maybe out of necessity but i just i just can't Ted is Ted is like you know kind of keeps things close to the vest doesn't really say much so you just you just never really know what you're going to get from them. <laughs> this is the only like NBA team that had players in the top 75 that never posted about it, never tweeted about it, didn't right. do a video montage. This is a team that perpetually makes it impossible for media organizations or media outlets to get interviews with players like them having like good PR apparently does not appeal to them. I think they think like no, no press is good press is sort of like the motto of the org. So uh, who knows? Um, but let's segue a little bit into a point guard experiment that did not work. Okay. Uh, Dinwiddie has been mentioning uh, both directly and indirectly his wizards tenure a little bit more. And a quote from earlier in the week, he said to get kicked out the door was a wild feeling not going to lie, hurt my feelings, but I love what they do here in Dallas. And then followed up with when the role changed and they wanted me to pass more, they felt like I was scoring a lot. I did that. I took my foot off the gas scoring wise, because that's what they felt. The team needed to get Kyle Kuzma and Contavious Caldwell Pope and those guys shots. And I said, look, I already got paid. This is about y'all trying to get the shots that y'all need, whatever. Uh, there's like nothing someone could say publicly that makes me cringe more and want to punch a hole through my computer screen as much as just like, I hate people that are passive aggressive. And also I hate people that are both hypocritical and try to rewrite history as if like the internet doesn't exist and we don't all have receipts for this because nothing could be further from the truth than those comments to me. Like, I mean, there's something, there's probably some truth to them. But but that's not that's his narrative. That's not reality right. to me. That's his, his narrative for sure. I think, and I've I haven't taken the Dinwiddie side because there's no Dinwiddie side to this. But I think what I would say is is Dinwiddie did start this season very aggressively, and then you could see you could almost just see with like his kind of energy level on the floor, mm-hmm. kind of how his demeanor on the floor. He really just just hit the brakes yeah. and stopped, yeah. and it never really made sense why. Mm-hmm. Um, and the numbers, like the numbers back it up, like he started off strong, then it kind of, they all just fell off a cliff. And when more, more guards were on the floor with him, like he was terrible when he was on the floor with Beal and case in Caldwell Pope, when it was kind of just him, his numbers were a lot better because I think the role was defined. He struggled balancing, involving people versus looking for his own offense. And I think instead of just trying to figure out that, okay, I still need to go downhill to create opportunities for them. He just stood around and made a pass and kind of got into a pouting mood. Yeah. Now at the same time, there were clear chemistry issues throughout mm-hmm. the entire locker room. We've seen it the, the, the season. Bertans left unhappy. I mean, look, players who left 
probably wanted to leave yeah. and they were unhappy. And that's yes. But that, I mean, I, where I struggle a little bit is I don't want to put all the blame on the people that were outgoing and everyone who stayed in is all clear and innocent. Sure. Um, everyone played a, all the veterans in my opinion, played a part in this and in, in how the season got drilled after a good start and wanting their own offense, even though the team was uh, doing better defensively focused at the beginning of the season, they, you know, people want people still want points. People want, or worried about their next contracts, all those things come into play and it affected the team chemistry. Um, and it is especially disappointing that it seems like it's mostly veteran players that were involved. Like this is what, this wasn't a Kispert, uh, the Kispert right. Rui or type or issue. Todd, whatever. Or Todd. This Todd, was, maybe. <laughs> yeah, this isn't really their issue. This is people who have already been paid at least once second contract and just couldn't figure out how to mesh well on the court together. So, I mean, did what he is saying, what anyone is going to say, I think he was probably annoyed that um, that the reports came out that he wasn't liked, you know, and that's kind of just petty stuff. Like, you know, just it was petty for that report to come out and it's also petty to respond to it. So like, it's kind of like, it's one of those situations where it didn't need to be said when he left. It, like they didn't need to keep emphasizing how refreshing it was yeah. when players left, because at some point someone is going to ask those same players when they're having success elsewhere, hey, why are you having success now? And they're going to have a similar reaction. So it didn't accomplish anything. At the same time, I think what Dinwiddie slowed down yesterday, at least what I saw at halftime, I don't expect him to keep up the level of play that he had here because he was shooting lights out. And we know throughout his career, he's not a lights out person. Yeah. No, he's not a lot. And, and still looking at the trade. So I took the position and I kind of still take the position. I probably wouldn't put it all on him. Agreed. There's definitely a large share on him because he just kind of pouted instead of figuring out what Wes Unsold actually wanted. That's the big thing for me. Right. But at the same time, no matter how much is on the other guys also, I would take Porzingis over him in a heartbeat. Sure. So all good. You want to just say what you want to say. Enjoy Dallas. <laughs> to me, this is where I struggle. Like I'm always looking for the opportunity to shit on our organization because they have made mm-hmm. me sad more times than they have made me happy in my fandom. I think this is a failure on Tommy up front because I don't think yeah. they had the hard conversation with him about what they wanted him to come in and do. I don't think they were realistic about what he could come in and do. I put this on unselled because I think he was like, instead of trying to like babysit people, I think he sat back in his office and did the old school, like, I'll let you guys figure it out. And they clearly yeah. couldn't figure it out. And even his comments now, like Unselt said, I'm not going to get into the accuracy of that. It's one of those things where organizationally it worked and he was aggressive early and then we won a lot of games and that's where he left it. So even that's like a little passive aggressive to me, right. you know, like you, you don't need to say this shit, like just don't humor it. Um, and, and I liked Kuzma's original comments of like, look, we're happy with the guys we have here now. Like that's how he started this. And then everybody kept asking him about it. And then KCP said what he said. And then he turned in like, yeah, "Yeah, you know, the locker room is better now. And I'm actually okay with that. If Dinwiddie said, I'm happier here in Dallas, more power to him. Montrez Harrell said he's happier in Charlotte, more power to him. The thing I can't come to grips with is this like, oh, you know, everybody said I was too selfish. And then he told me I could only be a pass first point guard. Like, I don't think that's realistic. and None of their comments back that up. Now, maybe they said totally different things in the locker room, but Wes said, I want this dude to go downhill and attack. Beal said, uh, obviously, I would love for him to be more aggressive, and I've told him that plenty of times. That was in December. Like, the comments are consistent. So, yeah, 
either they're lying is maybe what he's trying to imply or he's lying. And, and that's, that's what drives me nuts. Like we have receipts for this shit and the, Oh, it's so much simpler here in Dallas. When I'm with Luca, I pass a lot. When I'm without Luca, I attack a lot. He could have done all the same shit here too. Like I'm assuming that that's what they asked for him. Hey, yes, you will have to defer to Beal a little, but you will also stagger against him. And we want you to attack. Like there were room, there was room for him to shoot. And then that's what I can't reconcile. I think this is an ego thing. Guys didn't get along. And now we've got to throw pot shots on our way out here. Yeah. I think it's clearly a chemistry issue guys. Yeah. Like you said, guys didn't get along. They, and when he was saying, Hey, let's try to get maybe Caldwell Pulver, Kuz, Kyle Kuzma more looks instead of just thinking, okay, like, Hey, I'll just do that. As I get downhill, he was like, he just kind of shut down, you know, and he got tired of the situation and just kind of just pouted, you know? And then, yeah, it was, it's, it was, it's just been post all-star break post deadline. It's just been a lot more, look, they're not really a good team right now yet, but it's just been it's better fair. offense. Like their passes, like I think what are the statistically like second in passing and like top five in assists since the deadline and first like, in three you know, point shooting because the ball's actually moving. Right, the ball's actually moving. You don't have like, didn't would he take the approach of, Oh, they want me to pass. So I'm just going to stand around and pass and then just pout while I stand and like, well, I'm going to hot potato up. or I'm going to grenade no, that, it to someone. Yeah. That's not what they want. And that doesn't actually even create any op- better opportunities for those teammates. Now at the same time, I also, I think ball movement has to be organic. You need to yeah. prioritize and you need to set roles. And, and I probably some goes on West Unsold for he's trying to basically feed everyone and he's not, he's not letting it kind of flow from the top down. Like if your top guys do their job, it will flow everywhere else. And like, there was, there's, there's definitely a disconnect. And like you said, Tommy probably didn't sell the exact role that they wanted. There was some disconnect between Tommy Shepard, West Unsold Jr. And Dinwiddie where they were not all aligned on what the role for him is going to be. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't isolate it only just Dinwiddie versus those two. It might also be between West Unsold Jr. And Tommy Shepard. Yeah. Yeah. Tommy Shepard might've thought, okay, we have a dynamic backcourt here. West Unsold Jr. might be thinking, okay, we have a piece. This is not really someone who's going to be our number two option. This is a failure from all parties. Correct. Just yeah. the way Dinwiddie failed is more personally annoying to me. <laughs> Air pro, don't pout at the end of the day. Exactly. Like go yeah. ball out and, right. and then prove them wrong that way. Hey, you want to shoot more? Go shoot more and actually make some shots and then make them look stupid. You know, those kinds of things. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Last thing for anybody who hasn't heard yet, uh, two-way guard Joel Yai is out. Jordan Shackle is in. In 32 games, Shackle's averaging 15 points, four rebounds, two assists, hitting 34.5% of his threes on 7.4 attempts. This is a marginal move to get some shooting on the court. He probably won't play at all for the Wizards, but yeah, hey, just had to mention it. I uh, have not been thrilled with like... <laughs> how they use they those do- guys. I wish they took more shots with the two way agreed, like legitimate, like length Mm -hmm. size, more guys who have upside and just gamble. They kind of just, they've kind of just not, I don't think they've really taken advantage of it, but that's for another day. (laughs) Yeah. They they used their G league spots better before they had Devin Robinson. They had Jalen Hudson freak athletes that could eventually, you know, develop into something. These guys are kind of are what they are. Right. Uh, Oz, thank you for doing this. I think it was good to just kind of get it all out there, you know, kind of like 
I don't know, uh, <laughs> vent a little about the, the yep. wall, did witty, all these things. So whatever it is, I hope our point guard situation next year is a little more settled and we're saying nice things about whoever is filling that role. That'll be nice. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Appreciate having you on. All right, everybody check out the rest of the three point play set up here. We'll have um, an article and a spaces about this at some point, I think. So stay tuned. All right. Thanks to Oz for joining me there. Just real quick this week, want to touch on sort of a hybrid prospect profile. I've been attending the Athletic 10 tournament here at Capital One Arena this week. In the first matchup of the tournament, LaSalle played St. Joseph. St. Joseph has a guy that a lot of draft experts have like early second round. Uh, Sam Vicini of the Athletic, who's a you know, former guest on the show here, had Hall, Jordan Hall, St. Joe's point guard point forward kind of player. We'll get into that in a second here. 32 on his board. So this is a legit guy. Uh, there's a couple of players throughout the tournament on, on these teams that are, you know, fringe second round guys. Uh, Young Jung Lee of Davidson is like maybe one of the best wing shooters in the draft. He'll, he's kind of projected as like a mid second round pick would be the first like full-time Korean player in the NBA, which is really cool. And uh, I'll get to see him later this week. So expect maybe some more follow-up on him on some of these other guys. But just want to touch on Hall here for a little bit. This is a guy I've been kind of enamored with. He's like a six, seven, six, eight, like long, lanky point guard. And and I wrote an article about this for Bullets Forever where I referred to him initially as a point forward because he runs point and he is a forward size, but he plays the point guard for them. He is the primary offensive initiator. This is not the Denny could be a six, eight point guard kind of thing. Like he is a really savvy ball handler with both hands. When LaSalle played him, they were putting like pesky small defenders on him to try to like interrupt his ball handling and it didn't really throw him off. And this is a guy that wants to be super unselfish. I think that's another thing too, when maybe guys have to be the man on a mid-major team, they're not as willing to like transition easily into being a role player when they get to the NBA. But this is a dude that wants to create for others. And, And I honestly think that's been part of the challenge for him is that sometimes he's a little too unselfish and he's not really built to take over a game offensively. So, you know, if you're creating looks for guys who kind of can't do anything with those looks, you're not going to have a whole lot of team success. And then when that has, you know doesn't work out, then you try to force some shots that you're not really skilled enough or, you know, in that department or, or well-suited enough to try to take. And, and that's what happened in their opening round game in the A-10 tournament. They lost to LaSalle, who was St. Joe's is bad. Uh, LaSalle's bad. It was mostly bad basketball. But you could just see like the blueprint for what it would take for him to be a successful NBA player. And, you know, he dribbles well with both hands. He passes off live dribble with both hands, which is super cool. Like picture the like cross court off the dribble, you know, John Wall to the shooter in the corner, like passes that that Wall used to make. Like he can do those kinds of things. He's a capable enough shooter. He shoots about 36% from three on six or seven attempts. He's a 74% free throw shooter. And uh, in the Bulls Forever write-up I had, you know, I called that a respectable free throw shooter. And one of the comments was, well, since when is 74% respectable? Well, when you're six foot eight, 74% is not terrible uh, for a guy that plays almost 40 minutes a game for his team and just looks exhausted at the end of games because he also has to be one of their best defenders as well, too. So I actually think form-wise, he's an even better shooter than that. So just a little bit of context there for for a guy, when you're the entire team, you have to be the scorer, facilitator, best rebounder, and best defender. You know, that that makes things a little bit tough. But, you know, the fact that he can see over the defense is cool. I think for a Wizards team that, one, wants more point guards, 
or once more like long-term guards. This was a guy that would be probably the most upside-y second round pick they've had other than Todd. You know, he's not Cassius Winston. He's not Admiral Schofield. Like this is a guy that could get better. He'd add length at a position that would be cool to have length at. He'd give you another dimension. You'd be really switchable, which would be neat. I think some of what like the Heat do with Cody Martin is probably like a reasonable parallel there. Another big guy that can facilitate, but also play a little bit off ball as well. The problems for Hall so far have been one, just he's a little turnover prone. And again, I think some of that is just him forcing things to players that are not sort of on the same level as him, if that makes sense. Like he creates things for, for guys that they don't even know are there sometimes, or he forces stuff too much because an entire defense is schemed to stop him and are walling up around him. So I think, you know, one, he would drive a little bit more and get to the free throw line more on a team where there was more space because they just, they don't have enough shooters around him. So better NBA talent, I think actually unlocks the rest of his game as opposed to like some guys that kind of doesn't well suit, you know, they're not well suited to play. Like he's not an extreme athlete, but it won't matter if you're bigger and and taller and longer than most of the guys guarding you. So I, I think the NBA game would suit him really well. So this is a guy that, you know, the Wizards are slated to pick probably around 50 with that Dallas second round pick. If someone like Hall is there, it's something I would consider. This is not a particularly good point guard draft. I don't love Ty Ty Washington as much as everybody else does. If he could be taken at 18, I would love it. Would I take him at eight? I would be a little hesitant to do that. And then there's a huge drop off after Ty Ty, in my opinion. I don't love Kennedy Chandler. A little, I'm kind of over small point guards. I haven't loved what I've seen from Gene Montero uh, from Overtime Elite. JD Davison is still raw and probably ends up a second round pick. So if you end up taking a wing or a big or whoever in the first round and you wanted a younger point guard prospect with some upside to take in the second round, all I'm saying is Hall is a guy that I would evaluate and bring in for a workout and just see how he looks and put him through the paces and consider stuff like that. I think Tommy, once again, is going to have to get more creative with some of these picks like Oz and I just talked about. Hall's a way to do that. And some of these other guys we're going to talk about, like finding a few diamonds in the rough from a mid-major program is what good general managers do. Like that's your best opportunity to find a guy that maybe other teams aren't as aware of. There's a reason that they're taking these power five guys that they've heard of and have probably watched, you know, and well scouted, but they haven't really worked out because the upside isn't there. Like nobody saw Cassius Winston and thought this is an eventual, you know, starter in the NBA. I don't think same with Admiral Schofield, but they are from bigger name programs who were coming off good years and they'd shown they can win. And, and sometimes that's great. Like you want winners and you want character guys and Hall's coming off a team that won single digit games this year. So that may not appeal to Tommy, but you got to realize that that's not always like a one-to-one translation. Like we can't take every guy from Gonzaga, although there are plenty of guys from Gonzaga I would like to take. So it's it just, you're going to have to think a little bit more outside the box. And I think some of these guys, you know, we'll get into with some of our, our follow-ups here from the rest of this A-10 tournament are, are guys that might help them do that. Guys on two ways that could actually make a meaningful, you know, contribution to the team as opposed to like Ayayi, who, again, I liked, but he just has not looked good uh, the second half of the season here. The shooting really cratered and he wasn't able to create for people the same way. And he got pushed around a little bit defensively. And, and that's probably why he saw the move to Jordan Shackle is to just see if like maybe he can bring them something. And whether he can or not, I, I will be interested to see. I love him as a shooter. What does he do more than that? And I think is still kind of yet to be seen. So anyway, that's Jordan Hall. 
uh, 6'7", 6'8"-ish guard from St. Joseph's. Go watch a couple minutes of tape. You'll see some cool stuff there. He's a guy that averaged like 14 points, seven rebounds, and six assists. So like, it's a guy that does a little bit of everything for you, which I I think is kind of worth taking a chance on, in my opinion. All right, as always, this has been Believe in Wizards. I'm Matt Moderno. Thanks again to Oz for joining me. Check uh, his stuff out, too. A lot of the really creative tweets and things like that uh, coming from Bulls Trevor are, are usually Oz, so he's the brain there. And yeah, we'll just check you next week. Again, we were presented by betonline.ag. ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done